right. How you guys doing? Yes. Did you come ready? Did you come expecting? You ready to defeat another tiger? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you ready to defeat another tiger? Okay. So how many of you here last week? You heard last week? Okay. We talked about emotions and I said the word emotions in your response was disappointment. Do you remember that? Just complete. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about today. And I would just love to hear just a grand cheer because we're going to be excited about it. Here we go. We're going to talk about insecurity. <laughs> Mixed reviews. Mixed reviews on that. We are in a series on paper tigers. And what is a paper tiger? In case you weren't here in an earlier session, uh, let me tell you, it is a phrase that was started back in um, the Chinese dynasty when they would refer to one of their other rival countries and they would say that country is a paper tiger. It only looks powerful, but it's not. And we have these paper tigers in our life that we give an enormous amount of power to, but when you get up close to them, you find they're made of paper and full of air and quite easily defeated when you come to them in the name of Jesus. But so many of us have learned to not only avoid this tiger because it seems like it could take us out, but we will actually accommodate it and we will move our life in and around it. We will shift what we think of ourselves, what we think of other people, our choices, our decisions, our beliefs based on these things. The tigers may actually be bigger than you, but we've settled in on the truth that God is bigger than them, isn't he? Yes. Our passage for the series, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, do we? No, no. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take it captive. We battle these tigers. And we're going to battle the tiger of insecurity today. And we're going to battle it in the way that God has called us to do battle because we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the evil principalities in the dark world, but we can fight from a position of victory. So my prayer for you coming into this night has been that you would be able to recognize where insecurity has held you back, where insecurity has kept you down, and where you have let it define you as what you are not, and that you could walk from this place freer than when you came. It's my prayer for you tonight. We've talked about stress and pressure, talked about emotions, and now insecurity. There was a famous plastic surgeon Around 1975, his name was Maxwell Maltz. And after some time of doing plastic surgeries, people would come in and they would have an insecurity about, you know, something on their face. And, um, and he would do reconstructive surgery in order to make them look how they wanted to look. And they thought that it would make them not just feel better, but that their life would begin to go better because then the insecurity would be gone. But he kept finding that every patient he did a surgery on and corrected what they want corrected, their life didn't change one iota. 
nothing about it changed. In fact, they would come back and come back and come back for other things. So this um, plastic surgeon began to study psychology to try and understand why his line of work wasn't working in the way he thought it should. And he did all kinds of scientific studies and found this, that 95% of people in Western society, the society in which we live, have a strong sense of insecurity. That means basically all of us in this room, save, I don't know, a handful of people, walk through this life not with just a little bit of insecurity, but a strong sense of insecurity. Insecurity means a lack of self-confidence, nervous uneasiness, a doubt about your worth, a doubt about your value. It's when you're unsure of your place in the world. It could be that you think you're not enough or that you don't have enough, that you don't have what it takes. Insecurity shows itself when you're, when you're scrolling through Instagram and you think, oh, they go on better vacations than me, or they're prettier than me, or uh, uh, they're stronger than me, or they're smarter than me, they have a better job than me, they have a better family than me, they have a better life than me. It's insecurity. It's when you think you're damaged goods. It's insecurity is when you think you are on the outside of something and everyone else is on the inside. And there's this barrier that you imagine to be there, and you can't quite become part of the group. Whatever group you want to be a part of, whatever group you think has what you don't have or has more of what you want, and you're standing on the outside looking in. I find, have found it fascinating whenever I talk to, to people um, when you do pastoral counseling, or, or when I've been in counseling, y'all, I've had some therapy in my life. We've talked about this, right? Very pro-counseling. Um, and uncovered moments in our lives where insecurity took root. You could probably all remember a time that someone said something to you, and you remember it like it was yesterday, and you could have been six years old. Or something happened, a circumstance happened, there was a rejection that occurred, there was a breakup that occurred, a parent said something, someone said something, and you've never forgotten it, and it took root in you, and it has grown there, and everything else in your life has been birthed from it. I told this story in the women's gathering. For those of you that were there, there are a handful of you there, you would have heard this. But I want to give you the shortened version tonight. So when I was four years old, our home was next door to the church that my dad worked at. And that meant our, our backyard was the playground for the daycare of the church. Lucky kid was I. Merry-go-rounds, slides, swings, a whole yard full of three and four-year-olds that were going to be my friends so I would go outside and I would play with these little preschool kids that would come from the daycare and I would go up and I would gather some friends around and, and I would uh, sneak into my mom's bathroom and put my mom's 19, like 78 makeup on and go out into the yard and we would gather around and we would um, have singing groups and I would climb to the top of the slide that I was convinced was 10 stories tall, but really was about five feet tall. And I'd stand on the top of this slide and I would sing at the top of my lungs and perform concerts uh, just for the pure enjoyment of all the preschool, I'm sure. And then one day when I was going out to the playground to play, I put on these pair of pants that I thought were fantastic. Now, bear in mind, it was the late 70s. Y'all weren't even born. But in that day, 
They were plaid green pants. Hip huggers, bell bottoms, they were amazing. For my four-year-old self, they were amazing. And I went outside into the playground, and I was going to go up on the, on the swing and do another uh, concert. Um, really, had been, I prepared for an encore, really. And um, this little boy stopped me, and he looked at my pants, and he pointed at my pants, and he laughed at my pants, and he said, those are ugly. And I was four years old, guys, literally 40 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And why do I remember it? Because I remembered that that was a moment I realized other people, other people didn't like things about me. My four-year-old self that thought I was, I was pretty great. And then in one moment, someone said something to me and I, and I was like, I realized, oh, so you don't like this about me. And instead of still going up on the slide and singing, I went and hid behind a tree until everybody on the playground left. And then I went back home, and I never warm again. Insecurity changes the way we live. We will renegotiate our life around the things that we think other people will reject us for. We spend an extraordinary amount of time planning how not to be rejected. What to wear, what to do, what to say, where to be, who to be. Insecurity, I think, is one of the greatest strongholds I see. I watch it in my kids. I watch it in you guys. I see it in adults. There's no age limit. No age limit, every race, every, every person, man, woman, child, it doesn't matter. Every socioeconomic level, it doesn't matter. It gets a hold of everybody. How much of your life would change if you weren't insecure? I mean, think, take a minute and think about that. If you never wondered what anybody thought of you, if you didn't think you lacked what you needed, if you never compared yourself, if you never regretted what was lost, think about it. If you were not insecure, what would change in your life? Think of the fears that would go away. Think of the joy that would come. Think of the contentment. Think of the satisfaction. Think of the dates you would get to go on, my friends. Right? You're like, we're above that. We're past that, Heather. We don't really care. What about, give me something I care about. What about that? Think about if you had no insecurities at all. Think about the jobs that you would apply for. Think about the things that you would go after. Think about the yeses that you would give God. Think about the excuses that you would let go if you didn't have insecurities. This tiger can be defeated, y'all. It can be defeated. And I want to take you to a passage of scripture today. There are, I mean, there's too many people in scripture to count that were insecure. I mean, I didn't have to look far. I didn't have to look long. Very, very quickly, I went, okay, I know where we're going tonight. We're going to go to the story of Gideon. Gideon. Gideon's story is found in the book of Judges. If you've never read Judges, uh, Judges is sort of like uh, the original Avengers. 
okay? You go to Judges, and it's like the assembling of, of the Avengers, and there's Deborah, and there's Samson, who's like strong, and he can push the pillars, and, and Gideon is found in Judges, and Gideon is sort of like, um, he's like Captain America, but pre-puberty. Just, he's going to get there, and we're going to go with him on his journey, but when we meet him, he's very, very insecure. Now, let me set the passage up before we jump into it. Per usual, the Israelites, God's chosen people, were not living faithfully to God. This is essentially where every Old Testament story starts out. The Israelites were being dumb. That's how that all starts, every time. The Israelites were not living lives faithful to the Lord. So God said, fine, fine, you're not going to live faithful to me. I'm going to have to do something in your life that will force you to cry out to me, force you to be dependent upon me. And so he, it says he gave them over to their enemy, the Midianites. Now, there are about 135,000 soldiers in the Midianite army, all just paying attention to keeping the Israelites in line. The Midianites joined forces with other ites called the Amalekites, and they came together, and they would just go over to the Israelites and destroy all their crops, and the Israelites would plant them again and grow them again, and they would come, and they would destroy them again. Every single thing the Israelites did, the Midianites and the Amalekites together came and wiped it out. This meant that the Israelites had to keep starting over and over and over and over. Have you ever had to do that? i got to start over. i got to start over. i got to start over again. i got to start over again. i got to start over again. This was taken away. Now i got to start over again. This is not what I had planned. Happened to the Israelites over and over. And finally, as God knew, the Israelites cried out to God. Because this is when we do. When we've lost something. When we're lacking. When we feel oppressed. We cry out to God because we've exhausted all of our efforts and we know that God can do something. We know that he can because he has. See, side note, some of your bad days can be the best days because those are the days that you will turn to God in desperation. Let me say that again. Some of your bad days are actually your best days because those are your desperate days and those are the days that God will speak, and you will hear. Your bad days can be your best days. So God's about to raise up a deliverer, a judge, thus the book of Judges. About to raise up a deliverer, a guy named Gideon. Now, if you brought your Bible with you, you could turn to Judges, and we embrace the table of contents here at C12. If you don't know where Judges is, it's in the Old Testament. Start at Genesis and just hang a right and keep going, and you'll hit it. The book of Judges, there are Bibles under your seats. You can grab one of those. It'll also be on the screen, so you can, of course, use your digital version if you have that. And we're going to go to Judges chapter 6. <clears throat> Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. All right, let's pause. Gideon, remember prepubescent Captain America, is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, threshing wheat was always done outside 
Because in order to see the wheat separated from the chaff, they would throw the wheat up and the wind would blow and separate the two and then they would gather the wheat. They never did this inside because there was no wind. Scholars think that Gideon was actually throwing wheat up in the air and probably blowing at it in effort to separate it and then gather the wheat to himself. And it says that he was in the wine press doing this to keep it from the Midianites. But it says an angel of the Lord came and sat down where this was happening. Now, why is Gideon doing this inside instead of outside? Why is he hiding from the Midianites? Because he's scared. Gideon is one of the consummate characters in scripture that we think of as a scaredy cat, as a pansy, as a weakling. This was Gideon. He's hiding in the wine press, trying to keep anyone and everyone from seeing what he's doing because he's scared. And an angel of the Lord shows up. Scholars also believe that when it says in the Old Testament that an angel of the Lord showed up, that means Jesus showed up. Jesus shows up prior to the New Testament. This is before Christmas. This is before all of those things. Jesus shows up before he actually showed up, and he appears to Gideon. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What? You should circle that in your Bible. Even if it's not your Bible, it's a church's Bible, you should still circle Mighty Warrior. Because somebody else will be reading it someday and you'll want them to see those words. Mighty Warrior. Has, is, do any, is anything that we know about Gideon so far, would it suggest that he's a mighty warrior? Is it? Does it? This is an easy question. Does it? No, it does not. Jesus shows up, angel of the Lord, and he calls him Mighty Warrior. Listen to me. Jesus always does that. He always calls things as they are before they are. He always calls things into being that are not. He always names and claims things and states things before they ever come to be. So he says to Gideon, hey, mighty warrior. Verse 13. Uh, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? So Gideon said, hey, you know what? Where is God? Oh, God's with me? Where's the God that I've heard parted a sea? Where's the God that I heard parted a river? Where's the God that turned the leader's staff into a snake and back again? Where's the God that sent all the plagues on the Egyptians and then freed us up out of there? Where's that God? Because I don't see him anywhere. In fact, what I see are God's people that he swore to protect enslaved. So I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't see God with me. And if he was, why on earth would all of this be happening to me? If you're God, why is this happening to me? In fact, he says, now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. It's like God goes, Gideon, 
You're right. We have a problem. I've got an idea. This thing that you don't like, how about you go and be the solution to the problem you're telling me about? This is brilliant, Gideon. I'm so glad that I came. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Meaning, I'm sending you. God's sending you. Look, I'm powerful. I just appeared. I'm with you and I'm sending you. Verse 15. Okay. um, Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the what? Weakest. Circle that word weakest. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the what? Least. Least in my family. My clan is the weakest. My people are the weakest. And in my family, I'm the least. I'm the smallest. I'm the runt. I'm the least. I'm not the favored one. In fact, didn't you see me? I'm here hiding in the wine press. What do you mean, go with what I have? But I love this because the job Gideon wanted God to do, God just gave to Gideon. You are often the answer to your own prayers. How many times have you been praying for something? And, I, and how many times do you think God has been looking at you going, you know what, if you would just choose this, if you would just obey and do this, if you would just listen to my word, you are the solution to the prayer you are praying you want your friend to come see Jesus? You want your friend to be, to be saved? Tell them. You want to uh, become gainfully employed? Go apply. Get a job. Like, you pray for these things. You want these things in your life, and you could be the very solution that you're begging God for. I wonder how many of us are waiting to be more of something or have more of something of something before we'll actually do something. And we think because maybe we're not the strongest or the best or, or uh, the, the most popular that we can't do it. But God said to Gideon, and I'm saying to you, go with the strength you have. So Gideon went. He went. But... In the middle of obedience, it gets hard. I think sometimes the hardest points of obedience are that first yes, and then it's all right, and then the middle, that's really hard. Because you're too far to go back, but you're not far enough to see the win. So you're in the middle, and then the hard part is right at the end. It's that last 10%. And here Gideon finds himself in the middle of this journey of saving the Israelites from the enemy, and it gets really hard, and he gets really insecure. So insecure, and so he wants to test God. He starts to wonder if he got it wrong. When it gets hard, have you ever wondered if you got it wrong? When the obstacles come, when the hardships come, why do we think that following Jesus means there'll be no obstacles, there'll be no hardships? Like, There is nothing in Scripture that points to that. In fact, if anything, we should expect them. If anything, we should know full well that there becomes a larger target on our back the moment we say yes to Jesus. So Gideon comes along, and he's like in the middle of things, and he's doubting himself. And so he says to the Lord, okay, okay, uh, Lord, um, 
I'm just going to need a little bit of reassurance. I mean, I know you appear to me in bodily form. Not everybody gets that. I understand that. Um, I appreciate that. But now I'm starting to think maybe I saw things. Um, and I know that I saw you... Um, throw some flames because there was another instance where God threw some fire at something where Gideon was trying to start a fire. The Lord thought you're taking too long and he started the fire for him. I know I've seen those things, but Lord, I'm going to need some more reassurance. So how about this? When I go to sleep tonight, Lord, and I come out of my tent, how about if the fleece that's in front of my tent, how about if while all of the ground around it is wet with dew, my fleece stays dry. That would be impossible. But if that happens in the morning, that'll be my reassurance that I'm supposed to do what you're asking me to do. God is so patient and God is so kind. And so Gideon goes to sleep, wakes up, comes out, fleece is dry, ground is wet, and Gideon goes, okay, okay. I'm mostly convinced I mean, okay, I know you showed up in bodily form, which is kind of like, wow, and the whole flame-throwing thing and the fleece, but uh, just, just one more. Just one more. How about this time when I come out? How about if the fleece is wet with dew and everything else is dry? How about that? How about the opposite? Gideon thinks he's smart. So Gideon goes to bed, comes out, comes out of the tent, and the fleece is um, completely, uh, it's the opposite. The fleece is soaked and the ground is dry. And you just feel like the Lord's going, right? So Gideon says, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I'm in. So God finally gets through to Gideon. Gideon says, I'll do it. I don't know how this is going to happen. We've got about 32,000-ish soldiers. I'm looking over at the Midianites. They've got 132,000 soldiers. Um, it's feeling a little small to me, Lord. So I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. So we go to chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Let me just, in case you're not catching this, uh, ready? 132,000 versus 32,000. This is a big deal. Real big deal. All right? And God says to Gideon, you know what? You have too many. I don't like the odds. He says, I cannot deliver a Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength to save me. God says, if I let you go in there with this many, y'all are going to think you did this. Now, I, I don't know why. I still feel like 32,000 against 132,000. They would go, hey, thank you, Lord, for the, for the help there. But nonetheless, God says, I still feel like you would brag. So do this. God said, Gideon, I want you to go to your men, and I want you to say to them, anyone who feels scared and wants to go home can leave. What? If, yeah, if you feel nervous, if you don't want to go into battle, you are free to go home, God says. Minus 22,000, Men, 22,000 said, see ya, right? I'm out. I'm going home. <coughs> All right. 
chapter 7, verse 4 through 8. But the Lord said to Gideon, huh, you know what? There's just still too many men. There's too many men. Remember, we're talking to Gideon, like insecure Gideon, right? Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So they all go down to the water, 10,000 men. Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Okay. The ones who get, put their face in the water and lap, they're going to go home. The ones that go down into the water and cup the water and bring the water up to their mouth, they get to stay. Seems entirely fair to me. Does it to you? Seems entirely fair. 300 of them drank from their hands. 300. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Just try and imagine the scene. I mean, honestly. Honestly, try and imagine the scene. It would be as if every single seat in this room was filled. And I said to you, there's an army Swords, spears, bloodthirsty, take no prisoners. They will cut your heads off. They will kill your families. They will take everything you own. And they're right outside. Anyone want to go? 132,000 of them out there. Verse 8, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. These, this is ridiculous. In fact, I would even say this is this border's stupid. Wouldn't you say? Border's stupid. Because it says, what did they get to keep? Uh, they got to keep provisions and trumpets. They have food and trumpets. <laughs> food and trumpets, y'all. I don't think you're getting it. For what? Food and trumpets? What is that going to do? I mean, entertain the other army? What are they going to feed them? What are they going to do with food and trumpets? 712, and just in case we don't get it, Scripture helps us see it. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. What? So they look down into the valley, and they're like, well, okay, 132,000 soldiers, but you know what? I'm looking down, and I, can't, I don't think, no, no, can't count them. Seems like there's more. It says more than the sand on the seashore. You want to talk about insecurity. You want to talk about fear. You want to talk about, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. God, you haven't given me enough. This is, I am the least. I am, we are literally the weakest. Like, it doesn't matter what, it, it just doesn't matter what we have. No trumpet, in the, there is no trumpet that's defeating that sword. It's not going to happen. Have you ever thought you didn't have what you needed? 
I wonder if maybe some of us are in what we might call an army reduction season. Because God's about to deliver on a promise for his glory and not yours. I wonder if maybe some of us in the room, God is removing things from. He's taking things. He's allowing you to lose things. Things that you have relied on, that you have depended on, that have been safety nets for you. Things that you have thought would bring you confidence and would bring you security. And I wonder if maybe God is taking some of those things away from you and you think it's in punishment. But what it is, is he's about to deliver on his promise. So army reduction does not mean you're going to lose the battle. It means the battle belongs to the Lord. That's what it means. And then in one of the greatest upsets in military history, literally in all of military history, in the middle of the night, after uh, Gideon had gone on a little bit of recon work down into the valley, Gideon came back up and told the 300 to get up and do exactly as he said in the middle of the night. He, he divided the 300 men into three groups of 100. Gave them each a what? Trumpet. Um, in an empty jar with a torch inside. And he said, all right, we're going to surround them. We've got three groups of 100. We're going to go at, at three points around the valley. And when you hear my group blow our trumpets, you blow your trumpets, smash your jars, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So the three groups of 100 surrounded the enemy camp from three different directions and did just as Gideon said in the dead of night. They blew their horns and, all, and they, all the enemy, they wake up from the valley and all they see at the top of these mountains are lit torches crashing of, of something and loud noises, trumpets. And it would have echoed. It would have echoed back and forth and back and forth across those mountains. It would have looked and sounded like there were tens of thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers. So they woke up and in confusion, they had no idea what was happening. And in fact, because it was the middle of the night and dark, you could read in the passage, they actually began to turn on each other because they were so confused and they took each other out. And then Gideon and the 300 chased down the remaining few and took them out. The battle belongs to the Lord. Insecure Gideon becomes mighty warrior. Or did he? Was he always that? Y'all, there is stuff in you that you don't know is in you. There is stuff in you you don't even know is in you. Because you haven't stepped out of your insecurity and you're letting it control you so much, it's keeping you in the wine press when you're meant to be out on the battlefield. And it's dominating you. One of the definitions for courage is this, bravery in a battle. That is a definition, bravery in a battle. And we are in a battle, but not against flesh and blood, remember? Can you be brave in a battle? Because the battle is between insecurity and identity. 
you have insecurity in one corner, and you have your real identity in the other corner. You have weakest and least, and then you have mighty warrior Gideon. And the battle is real. It exists. It is possible that Gideon could have said, you know what? I'm just going to live here. I'm not going to say yes. I'm just going to ignore the fleece. I'm going to ignore the flamethrowing. All of that, it's just not enough for me to be brave enough to go against that. There is a battle, and you have to choose. You get to choose. Identity is the cure for insecurity. It is the cure. See, what God says you are matters more than who others say you are not. Who God says you are matters more than who others say you are not. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. Right? Don't you know Gideon thought he was the least because I'm pretty sure his big brothers told him, right? Don't you know he thought his clan was the weakest probably because the other, other clans told him? Who told you? Who told you that you weren't a mighty warrior? Who, who said things to you? And ever since then, You've never been able to rise above it. And I'm not even sure if some of you have even taken the time to think back to it. What changed you? There was when I was four in the plaid pants, but I mean, I could take you to dozens and dozens of moments that changed me. And the more it happens, then you start to make your own choices and decisions out of insecurity that are harmful to yourself. Other people are harmful to you, and then you become harmful to yourself. And it exacerbates the problem. Can you be brave in the battle? How do you win the battle? How do you win the battle? You have to do what Gideon had to do. Gideon had to answer three questions, and so do you. Here's the three. Who do I say I am? You have to answer that question. And I don't mean give some kind of churchy answer. I am a child of God. I am a daughter of the king. I am a son of the king. I am loved. I am to- right? You know what I'm saying? If I say, who, who are you? Oh, well, here, here's who I am, Heather. No, I mean, who do you really say that you are? I might even add, am not. What are you lacking? What don't you have that you think somebody else has? What don't you have that you think you need in order to do the thing you want to do? Who do you actually say you are in the depths of your soul that you probably don't ever say out loud? You'd be too embarrassed to say it. Who do I say that I am? All right, here's the next question. Gideon had to answer it. You got to answer it. Then who does God say I am? And I wonder if this might actually be an easier one for some of you to answer. Who does God say I am? I am what? 
What are we? It's not rhetorical. Who are we? I just gave you, I just, we, child of God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Loved. Who does God say we are? Yeah, we're chosen, we're loved. We're mighty warriors. Absolutely. Beautiful, redeemed, restored. Blessed. Hashtag blessed, right? <laughs> we know this. We know who God says that we are. Some of you need to sit and figure out more about who you say you are and be really honest, right? But there's a third question that you have to answer, that Gideon had to answer, and ultimately we see what he chose. Who, who will you believe? Who will you believe? It doesn't take a ton of courage to stay here. It takes a lot of courage to believe here. Because you have to choose to believe something that you may not feel, that you cannot see, and is contained within a promise that has yet to be fulfilled. You have to choose to believe Mighty Warrior before Mighty Warrior ever shows up. You have to choose to believe that what he has said to you, the promise he has made you, the dreams he has put inside of your mind and your heart are good and they are real. And just because they haven't happened yet doesn't mean they're not true. And you have to believe them as they're true before they're true. That's what Jesus does. He calls them as they are before they are. He calls them into being before they come into being. Who does God say that I am? The Lord, in the verse 14 that we read, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I love this. It says the Lord turned to him. I think God turned to Gideon because I think Gideon, when God says, Hey, I want you to go. I want you to be the solution to your problem. I think Gideon gets out his phone and goes, Really, Lord? I'm going to start scrolling Instagram and stops looking. I'm distracted. That's what we do. God talks. We get distracted. We go over here. Here's all the reasons why I can't. Here's why the world is passing me by. And it's like the Lord goes over, turns to get it, almost takes his face in his hand. And he says, am I, am I not sending you? I'm sending you. The God of the universe is sending you. I made those soldiers. I created you. I manifested the waters and the seas. I am God and I am sending you. Why are you worried? In your weakness, I am strong. At your worst, I'm at my best. I want your lack. I want your loss. I want all of those things that you think you will never be because until you finally get desperate enough to get over yourself and die to yourself and go, I'm so tired of trying to live this life of insecurity. I'm so trying, tired of trying to please people and trying to make sure that everybody approves and everybody accepts and I'm saying the right thing and I'm doing the right thing and I'm performing well and I and your whole life we've been raising you you've been raised to believe that your performance is what gets you acceptance but you at some point have to become so exhausted with that 
so tired of that that you can choose to believe in bravery because it will take faith that you are exactly who God says that you are. What would change if you were brave enough to believe God? And then here's, what, here's how you do it, all right? Very simple. It's hard, but it's simple, Ready? You live like you believe until you believe. You live like you believe until you believe. A lot of you in this room have given your lives to Jesus Christ and you are Christians. And you can recite for me all of the right answers for who does God say that I am, but you don't really believe them. You don't live, you don't live knowing that you are loved. You don't, you don't live in the kind of confidence that would come if you really believed it. So what, do you, what should you do? You live like you would if you believed. And the belief will follow. You walk into a room and you go, what would I do right now if I was not insecure? And then do that. You wake up on any given day and go, what would I do today if I really believed that I was chosen and loved and gifted and talented and called, what would I do today? And then you do that. What would I say to this person, this unhealthy relationship that I'm in, what would I say to this person that makes me feel so terrible about myself if I actually believed what God said about me? What would I say to them? What would I do in this relationship? You know what you would do? End it. What would you do? What would change if you lived like you believed that you are who God says you are? I've always found that obedience typically comes before feelings. We talked about that last week. It's a faith. It's a brave, it's a brave thing. It's bravery. There's a battle going on, and you've got to choose to believe. And I don't know. We've all battled insecurity. Some of you probably, when you get insecure, you lash out, Right? Maybe you want to make other people feel smaller so that you feel bigger. So you're like, nobody's going to push me around. Go ahead, you say that to me. I'm just being honest. Just who I am, right? You got no friends, that's why. I mean, but you know those kind of people, you know what I'm talking about? You can tell me, come, you know, come at me. I mean, you can tell me that, but that's just who I am. I'm going to tell you how it is, right? It's all insecurity. It's all it is. Lashing out, verbally vomiting all over people. Maybe, maybe when you get insecure, you just shut down. You hide. You isolate. You just get away. Nobody can see you. Nobody can say anything. Maybe some of you, when you get insecure, you're the sticks and stones people. Well, they didn't invite me to the party. Well, the party's dumb anyway. I didn't want to go to the party. Well, they, well you know what? He didn't ask me out. Well, who, who is he? And all your friends go, I know, who, who is he? <laughs> right? Like, he didn't even know. He's stupid, right? I mean, this is, this is what we do. These are the sticks that sticks and stones will break my bones, what? But words don't love or hurt me. Maybe some of you, when you're insecure, you just deflect with humor and you laugh it off. Okay, now I'm starting to meddle, Right? 
Now I'm starting to press in a little deeper because you can laugh at the other people because they're not you, but this is a lot of you. Because you're laughing. (laughs) That's how I know. Right? You start to feel a little insecure in a situation and you've got to be the jokester, right? You've got to make everybody laugh because if if you make everybody feel like it doesn't bother you, then they won't really know it bothers you. They won't see that you're hiding in the wine. They won't see. Maybe some of you are like the one-uppers, you know? Like... (laughs) You know, when you go to someone with a problem that you have and you want advice from them and all they want to do is talk about their problems? You know, well, this person said this to me that's really hurt my feelings. I know, girl, I know. You know what? So-and-so said this to me. It was terrible. I know. I was so upset about it. I mean, I know you're coming to talk to me about you, but I'm so sorry, but I can just totally relate to that. Here's how I can relate. And they start going down all the stories of how they relate and they have no idea what you just said to them. Right? It's insecurity. Somebody's always got to one-up. Somebody's always got to have the better thing or have the most adventurous thing or have the most painful thing. It's like we have this contest. Who's had the most painful thing and they win, right? It's all insecurity. It's all insecurity. See, secure people, secure people leave people feeling better about themselves when they walk away. Secure people make holy choices because they care more about pleasing and worshiping the Lord than they do other people. Secure people are brave people. Secure people are willing to be alone in a situation rather than be surrounded in a bad situation. Insecurity is taking some of y'all out, out. Out. You can win this battle. You can win this battle. Ben, I'm going to have you come up. You can win this battle. Jesus calls things into being before they are. See, when I look around the room and I talk and I see so many of your faces, it's so clear to me because it's written all over your faces. You don't want to live an ordinary life. You don't want to live an ordinary life doing ordinary things. You want to live an extraordinary life. You want to live a life of meaning, full of passion. You want to you want to do something that matters. You want there to be somebody in your life that loves you. You want, to, you want significance. You want success. It's, it's, what, it's, what you, it's what we all want. 
And I think insecurity is taking you out because you won't be brave enough to believe your identity. I'd love for you to bow your heads with me. I think I have some people keep I think I have some people in the room. I think I'm pretty clear on this. I really feel like this is going to be true. I got some people in the room that are working jobs and it's not what you imagined for yourself. It, it may not even be how you started out. And they feel mundane to you and there's no joy, no real fulfillment. It's a paycheck. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good, I mean, you know, you got to pay bills. You got to do some things. But I feel like there's some people in the room that that's the case. And it has begun to develop some insecurities in you. Some insecurities that maybe God has forgotten you. Or maybe um, he doesn't have anything better for you. Or maybe whatever happened that caused you to lose the thing you wanted was enough to set you into plan C for your life instead of plan A for your life. But I think I've got some of those in the room. If that is you, would you just raise your hand and look at me, please? Yeah. Yeah. Put your hands down. I think I have some people in the room that, um, and you please, I would, I would ask that everybody would keep their head down for this with nobody looking around. But I think I have some people in the room, both guys and girls. And um, you, um, you feel ugly. You feel dismissed by the world because of how you look. And if anybody could peel back the layers and look inside your mind and your heart when you walk into a room or you walk into a group of people or you walk into class or you walk into church or you walk into work, if they could peel back and see your mind and heart, we would see such anxiety. And I think I've got some people in the room that that's been all consuming for, all consuming. Guys and girls. If that's you, nobody's looking, would you raise your hand and just look at me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Put your hands down. I think I got some people in the room who have a parent or parents who did something or said something that wasn't okay and, and it made you feel less than and you've struggled with stepping outside of how they've defined you for a really long time. 
And because you're, you're now in college or you're a young professional and you've been outside of, of their direction, you're just starting to discover it. You're just starting to discover the impact that those words and those actions had and it is breaking you and you are sad. Guys and girls, if that's you, would you raise your hand and look at me? Yeah. Yep. I think I got some people in the room whose story and sin, you feel like it's written all over you. All over you. And, and you're living a life and you might even be pretending not to, but everybody knows it. And if they don't know it, you think they do. You think your secrets are kind of seeping out and you are insecure. And I wonder if some of you have stories that you know God has even forgiven you for, but you're so insecure about them, it's keeping you from saying yes to what he has for you next. That maybe you're not worthy, maybe you're not clean enough, maybe you're not pure enough, maybe you're not talented enough, and those are the things that keep ringing in your head. You're not smart enough, you're not the one that gets chosen, you're not the strongest leader, all of those things. And it is your story, because maybe nobody noticed you for those things before, and, and, but they've been inside you the whole time, and you know it. God spoke them into you before they are. Just because nobody else has seen that they are doesn't mean that God doesn't know that they are. Let me just tell you, not one single person would have said to me when I was your age that I'd be doing what I'm doing. I mean, not one single person. How many of you, your story is what's keeping you insecure? Let me see your hands. Man. hands down. How many of you would be willing to be brave right now and say, I feel like I know who I think I am and I hear you telling me who God says that I am, but I don't know if I can believe him and I am battling insecurity for whatever reason whatever form, but you're battling it. How many of you would be brave enough to just say, stand up right now? If you are battling insecurity in any form, I want you to stand up. You don't have to say why, I want you to stand up. take every one of your faces and look at every one of your eyes and say, you are so loved. You are so loved. And you are a mighty warrior and you are a mighty warrior and you are a princess and you are beautiful and you are talented and you are called and you are called and you're gonna lead people and you're gonna be out on that battlefield. I'm telling you, I wanna take all of your faces and say, I don't know what's been spoken over you, but in the name of Jesus, I just declare that it is no more. In the name of Jesus, we just wanna proclaim healing in this place that the Holy Spirit might fill your soul with hope and with 
with bravery, brave enough to believe that you are who Jesus says you are. And when you can't believe it, to live like you believe it. God sees past our flaws and our messed up states and our, he sees past our stories and he sees past whatever would be our life on paper and in print. He sees past what we see in the mirror. He sees past like all of those things that are, he just sees past all of it and he sees your heart. Lord, I wanna pray over all these men and women Lord, we pray over every single one of them, Lord. We just pray, Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now you would whisper a name to them. You would whisper a name to them. You would say to them, like you said to Gideon, call something into being right now that they don't see. Call it into being right now that they don't see. Lord, would you, would you rescue people from insecurity by speaking into their minds right now that they are pure and that they are holy and that they are beautiful and that they are wanted, that they are leaders. To some of them that they are pastors, to some of them that they are preachers. I think some of the women in this room tonight need to hear that they are preachers. Would you whisper to the men in this room, they are warriors, they are not weak. They can stand strong. It doesn't matter what general, generational cycles existed before them. It doesn't matter what's been handed down. It doesn't matter what's been said. You are with them. And that this moment can be a new generation and a new cycle. Would you whisper these things into their soul? That they're accepted, that they're whole, that they're complete, that they're strong. Or would you be the center of our life? Would you be the center of our life, Lord? Would you be patient with our fleeces that we put out? Would you be, would you pay, be patient with our questions? Be the center of our life, Lord. We choose to believe you in bravery, to set aside insecurity and live like we believe. We love you, Lord. Let's all stand and let's just worship together. Let your hearts and your minds be filled with these words and these praises as we go from this place.